0: Hello and welcome to AutoLine This Week. I'm John McElroy, standing in front of the world headquarters of the Ford Motor Company, because in just a moment, we're going to take you inside and talk to three experts about the future and how we all fit into it. Here is your host, John McElroy. As I said, we're going to be talking about the future, but not just with cars. We'll be looking at a variety of topics, including design, fashion, societal trends, and I've got three great experts to be talking about that today, including Cheryl Connolly, who looks at all global trends and futuring for the Ford Motor Company. Gadi Amit, the president of New Deal Design, and you're going to be very interested in some of the things that he's designed. Also joining us are John Gerzema, the Executive Chairman of B.A.V. Consulting, which I understand is part of Burson Marsteller as well. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Very good. So let's get into it. You know, who knows where this conversation is going to go. Let's start out talking about big trends in transportation, or let's call it mobility, because I think that's a better way of doing it. Charlotte, why don't I talk with you to start with, in that automakers are facing government regulations all around the world to boost fuel economy, cut CO2, or really greenhouse gas emissions. They're coming out with hybrids and plug-ins, battery electric cars, now fuel cell cars are hitting the market, but they haven't really caught on. Even in the United States, Mm -hmm. the largest market in the world for these kinds of vehicles, they're like 3% of sales. How do you think we're going to resolve this? How is the auto industry going to resolve trying to meet these government regulations when the public just does not seem to be on board yet?
1: Well, I think it's all about how you frame the question, because I am not sure it's the automotive industry that will resolve that question ultimately. And as the in-house futurist for Ford, my job is to kind of make sure that we're looking outside of our industry. We're looking at global shifts, um, societal, technological, economic, environmental, and political arenas, we can't predict the future, but we can certainly try to prepare ourselves so that we learn to expect the unexpected. And Ford's strategy in that regard, specifically, has to surrender to the idea that we don't know. We don't know and we can't know, so we have these parallel paths of innovation where we're trying to improve you know, uh, fuel cells, um, hybrid, pure electric. But we also can do amazing things on just your traditional Uh, gas engine so with the EcoBoost it's one of our most successful and popular engines on the marketplace and so you look at um, famous innovators like Clay Christensen who talk about that the innovation in these things are maybe our best path disruptive innovation could be wonderful but there also could be um, seismic change from incremental um, innovation so we're trying to cover all of our bets.
0: Gotti, what role does design play in this? I mean, here you're, tra- right. and, and we, sh- we should let the audience know you've designed the Fitbit, which has launched yeah. a, a revolution in, in personal health and exercise. Is it design that's going to do this?
2: And just to add to that, I I, um, designed a few years ago a system with a company called Better Place that was trying to deploy uh, infrastructure for electric cars. I think design has a major role in creating um, new advanced technologies more appealing and more readily, um, say, connecting with uh, the the average consumer. I think typically uh, technologies that are uh, right at the cutting edge are. Not the most uh, communicative, not the most enjoyable, and so on. And if you take a company that does it correctly, let's say like Tesla, they put the whole package together, it's something different. It becomes, it, 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 it is breaking through some barriers and making people uh, gravitate towards the product rather than uh, being convinced or over. Uh, Pushed towards the tro- uh, the product, let's say by regulation and so on. So I'm a great believer in a consumer open market where design has a major role to make these uh, more um, ecologically friendly uh, vehicles uh, more uh, appealing. What would crack the code to do that? I mean, from your your vantage
0: point, not as an automotive designer, as an outsider. So. so-
2: two things in my opinion one is a highly complex technical uh, topic which is range and anxiety how do you deal with that but another is something that people don't pay attention to it's not electric car any longer actually even our gas cars are not uh, gas cars it's our digital environments we actually text which we don't like to admit we have entertainment system Mm -hmm. we have a navigation system and so on and people look at that as an extension of their living room in a sense of having a lot of these uh, enjoyable uh, digital uh, uh, gadgets, if you wish, around them. And I think there is a way that we could take that digital brilliance and weave it into the car, create uh, opportunities for people to lean back a little bit and enjoy the digital experience, leaving the car to drive a few miles, you know, it's still, you know, uh, traffic jam and you don't want to deal much with driving. And then later in, uh, let's say, around the corner when it's open road, you could actually uh, uh, kick into uh, your driver mode and, and, and enjoy the car. So I think digital technology within the car should really leap forward and allow people to enjoy um, digital experience rather than being uh, just mere drivers. And and th- yeah, and I think, Gotti
3: to build on that point, getting millennials, that's, that's their life, yeah. right? That's yeah. how they think. And if you think about their definition of exploration today, yeah. Our definition of exploration would have just been physical transportation yeah. their definition is sort of digital freedom and digital expression and so the the merging yeah. of those two worlds i think is incredibly important
2: yeah and i think that just to add to that the whole uh, topic of ownership of a car is being transformed now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um i know that for instance a lot of my designers live in san francisco and they prefer not to own a car but they take a car by zip car for two hours or they use Uber and so on. So all these combinations are going to be out there. I actually think that we'll have a hybrid future rather than mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that we'll have multiple models mm-hmm. and people will hop between these models as they, wi- as they wish. So that's actually a very interesting and I think beautiful future. Mm-hmm. It is,
1: I, and you, you know, the millennials are a really great example because you know, they're the youngest member of so the consuming market right now. And so their preferences can kind of give us a cue as to what we might see in the future. And when we look at yeah. the difference between millennials and baby boomers, you, their attitudes towards a vehicle or car ownership or even getting your driver's license are fundamentally different. Yeah. So today in the US, uh, seven out of 10 uh, 16-year-olds do not have their driver's license. And the numbers are down not just for 16-year-olds, but 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, yeah. and 19-year-olds. And, and to Gotti's point, the miles driven by the people 21 to 30 years of age also down. So as an automotive manufacturer, we have to ask ourselves, what are the societal influences that are changing? So when, when some of us were coming of age, if you were a baby boomer, for instance, you got your first car, it was a rite of passage. It was what we like to say the gateway purchase into adulthood. Yeah. Um, now our kids, any one of our kids would argue that their first cell phone was their gateway <laughs> yeah. purchase into That's adulthood. Really interesting. And so we, this, this uh, convergence of technology mm. and constant connectivity are things that are changing. Um, what mobility means.
0: It is, but John, I wanna ask you, there's uh, of course, Global variations and looking yep. at all this kind of thing. So in the United States, as Cheryl just points out, we're seeing fewer and fewer teenagers yep. getting their driver's license. Yep. Meanwhile, in China, car sales are going crazy. Sure, there still is that rite of passage that's taking place
3: there. Sure,
0: how do you see this evolving on a global basis? This, well, th- this development.
3: Yeah, and I think John, to be a marketer, you've got to obviously look at the culture and the context. And you know, in China, for example, in our data and BAV we see young Chinese millennials, their aspirations are not their parents, their aspirations are other global millennials around the world. So they feel far more connected to kids their age in other countries. So I think you've got to look at those contexts. I think Cheryl raised a really important point about not only technology and the way that they're thinking, but also we've got economic constraints, you're looking at student loan uh, challenges here, you know, in the U.S. and in other parts of the world, different levels of disposable income and all these, I think, have a factor to play. You figure out about how to get, get people to, um, to drive and to own a car. But I want to go back to a guy who said it was so interesting. I think it's so important to think about the fact that there could be multiple models of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, at a conference South by Southwest, and Brian mm-hmm. Chesky was there, and he raised a great point. He talked about the average length of a power tool, right? So if you yeah. bought a power tool today, what's the average length that has been used? Take a guess. Ones. Right. Total time. It's only been, up once. 14 minutes. 14 right? minutes, oh my gosh. So then that becomes a question. Of course, it's been in the garage for 20 years. Right, but. so yeah. then it becomes a question of utility. And yet at the same time, you've got, you know, Airbnb and One Fine Stay and these other companies like Neighbor Goods in San Francisco yeah. that are helping you take your purchases and make them become assets in the sense that they, they continue to yeah. sort of, you know, derive revenue for you. So I think it is a multiple sort of yeah. consumer Producer model that's emerging, and I
1: think that the reason why those you have to look underneath why those things are popular, and part of it is a financial constraint, right? So Definitely. you've got you've got young people, those millennials who were promised the world and an oyster, you know, and. and the the job market hasn't received them the way that they had hoped or anticipated. But they do have an appetite for the finer things. And so one way they can still partake in that is to rent, to borrow, to share, to collaboratively consume. Um, But even if the finances aren't what holding you back, there are lots of people that say ownership is a lot of responsibility. It means insuring, maintaining, storing. Um, And then beneath all of that, it happens to be a really sustainable solution.
2: But just to to peg into that uh, notion, if we talked about these millennials as people who have uh, a complete digital culture, they're mm-hmm. immersed with that, that's their experience. What I think is not there is that the experience of driving didn't become digital. So if I'm renting a car it takes me a long time until I figure out how to get my uh, phone to to get the music through the the, the new car and so right. on. So what will need to happen, I think, is some level of openness by the car companies to allow uh, or to embrace, if you wish, th- this digital culture around it and, and open up so people could have a meaningful hour or two of a, a rental car or a zip car and then they see that they could you know, enjoy it mm-hmm. through their digital way of life and then maybe the next one will be a weekend and so on. So I think there is some kind of a separation of experiences. Uh, my generation um, experienced things more mechanically. Uh, maybe my daughters are completely immersed in, 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 in the digital, digital culture, and we need to somehow bridge that.
0: Gotti, we're right around the corner. We're going to see autonomous cars, yep. cars that can drive
2: themselves. Will that answer the question that you're or the issue that okay. you're addressing? I've been asked a few times about it. I'm actually, um, my view is complex. There are definitely uh, some functions. Uh, for instance, people who are disabled or you know, delivering packages and so on that autonomous cars will be amazing to, to use. At the same time, I think for a lot of people, including millennials, the experience of driving fast in an open road and enjoying it is still there we're still physical animals there's still visceral connection to what we do to the motion and to emotions that come with that now later around the corner you drove and you got stuck in a traffic jam over there you probably want to push a button and say take me home mm-hmm. so we will have some again a, a hybrid reality in which multiple uh, use modes are going to be used Uh, sometimes in a vertical way, let's say to deliver packages, but sometimes my ideal car is a car that I drive for fun and then when I'm getting stuck in traffic it basically does all that and I could do other things. Hmm.
1: I I think that um, the the joy of driving is is still one of our pillars within Ford. Uh, But the reality is globally, and I think it's Frost and Sullivan that put this quote together, um, something to the extent that the average speed traveled worldwide is about 25 miles per hour. And so there are pockets not evenly distributed. So there, you know, here in the U.S. there's still lots of opportunities to have that pedal to the metal, the wind in your hair, the open roads ahead. And that is part of the romantic view of car ownership. Um, but for other parts, that's not a reality. And we've heard Bill Ford, our uh, chairman, talk about his fear. What if we continue to add more vehicles to the road? That that may not be an ideal solution if it yep. creates global gridlock.
3: That and, and the the dynamic of urbanization, you know. Sure. Sammy Hagar back in my day had this famous uh, song, I Can't Drive 55. 55. And I think that's pretty much the norm now in New York and, yep. and in Singapore and other places. <laughs> John, you,
0: you look at things all over, uh, as Cheryl points out. I think there 's roughly a billion cars on planet Earth right now. Uh, yeah. it, some projections would suggest in a couple of decades, we might double that two yeah. billion cars. Yeah. It ties right in with population growth we 're at what six billion now headed yeah. Yeah. to nine what 's that going to do to maybe not just mobility but society in general
3: well it 's going to put all kinds of stress on our on our resources I'm, you know as a global traveler business person like Cheryl and um, Sorry, totally. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah. I'm so jet-lagged. Yeah. So uh, what I think about uh, this time today is that there's this huge shift, and I've gone back and, like, as a global traveler, looked at um, spending time in Beijing in the 90s and, and Vietnam in and the early 2000s, and you just literally saw this dramatic shift, right, yeah. going from bicycles to, you know, motorbikes to cars. So it's a tremendous stress that's going to be put on our on our infrastructure. Do you
0: see it that way, Gotti?
2: I first I totally agree but I do think that a lot of the solutions are within the design domain I think we used to have uh, old four trucks that are still out there people will fix them today you cannot fix a car you need you know you need a whole shop uh, with computers and so on and the same thing I say uh, to the industry I'm familiar with uh, let's say the mobile phone industry being able to repair and hold to an object uh, let's say five, seven, ten years, rather than discarding it after two three years, will solve that problem. Basically, you see
0: that happening instead of this disposable throw
2: away electronics? I see the yearn for that. I know uh, a lot of the designers in my studio bought um, small clunky motorcycles and I asked them why. And they said, because I can fix them Mm -hmm. and I like to get my hands dirty with grease and I like to fix them and I could still control it. And people like that. So building all these human qualities, uh, people still want to be able to maintain the same same object that they have a lot of uh, embedded memories. They just want to maintain it longer. And I think we should, uh, as design community, as in the industries, I'm talking both the mobile industry and the car industry, allow cars and any object to live longer, be uh, serviced better, maybe uh, change more uh, engines, change digital brain, whatever. This is really a a crucial uh, challenge for the designers around the world, and I think we can do it. Well, you know, the the average car in the U.S. today is 11 and a half
0: years, Mm -hmm. so they've already achieved that. But to your point, uh, so much of the technology in those older cars is outdated. Even in luxury cars, it's outdated, and there's no
2: easy way to upgrade it. Try to upgrade a Bluetooth uh, software in in one of the modern cars. I'm not talking about something from the 70s. It's impossible.
1: Well, one of the things that actually Ford is trying to address, because you do have this thing, you, you have a, a durable good, a, a car that's a decade old, you got a cell phone that's a couple months old, yep. and you want to, you know it's going to change. And so we actually do have this open architecture to try to make sure that we can stay abreast of that. And we've engaged in many more strategic partnerships, so uh, we're not just looking at what other auto manufacturers are doing. We want to know what other consumer electronics providers are doing. Yep. So we have a program called OpenXC where we invite We have taken proprietary systems and made them open source so that we can tap into the minds of these two and have them collaborate and make the the vehicle experience better. And I guess fundamentally, then you start to say, you know, companies like Ford don't see themselves as just selling vehicles, but we're selling mobility in all shapes, sizes, and colors.
3: I think that also taps into the mindsets we were discussing earlier, of the next generation car buyer, right? They're thinking in terms of, apps that are buggy. You know, my daughter said to me, well, this app is a little buggy. You know, they got to work it out. Well, they understand there's versions of 2.1, 2.2 and everything. And so this is a a far more organic process, I believe.
2: Yeah. And I think um, think the good news is that we are now suddenly aware of it. There is a big word called interoperability between, you know, software and hardware components, and in cars you always feel it. You know, there's one part that is still harkening back on uh, technology that was tried and true for the last 30-40 years, and then there is a new Bluetooth thingy that is buggy, mm-hmm. and so on. And and uh, that is part of maintaining the life of a car or any object, is again, making sure that it's uh, fully functional and enjoyable. Very important. I mean, I actually want to chime in here. I am not sure the term mobility is giving us enough of these human uh, emotional values. Mm. It's a very utilitarian Mm -hmm. uh, uh, economics. I mean, uh, you know, professors of economics will use it. I think to some degree we need to find, and I understand why it's used. We need to find a new vernacular that will embed the emotional side of the experience of new, quote-unquote, mobility with the utility of it.
1: I, I, I completely agree, um, and I, I think there's an irony that, you know, we talk about our mobile phone and, yeah. you know, but when we talk yeah. about that mobility, we're not talking about the same mobility in terms of yeah. planes, right. trains, automobiles, yeah. but at some point there is in the abstract this intersection, yeah. Yeah. and I would it actually takes me to a different point that, you know, fundamentally one of the questions that Ford is trying to answer is, what is the future of mobility? And I often say as a futurist that that... that question can't be answered until you figure out things like, what's the future of work? You know, How many people will work from home? Where will there mm-hmm, be virtual yeah. employment? And you can't answer that question until you understand the future of education. And the future of education mm-hmm. will be about government stability yeah. and economic inputs. You know, so you start to see just how complex um, and holistic tackling yeah. these problems
2: become. And, and yet, just to, to back to that, to me, the anchor is the human being. Mm-hmm. We still want to interact. So a lot of the experiment with remote workers uh, didn't really deliver. And we've seen, for instance, Yahoo actually called everyone in back. Mm-hmm. We, we are interacting now. We're enjoying it. There's, there's nothing that technology could actually deliver on that. And with that said, what I want to say is we should be more mature with expectations from technology. Technology cannot solve education. Cannot, technology cannot solve issues with workplace and so on. So we will still be traveling to meet people because we humans, we are a social animal. We want to interact with people and enjoy it. The question is how are we going to do that? How frequently are we going to do that? What's going to be the journey like?
1: And we we actually try to track this. We, one of the trends that we published in our twenty fourteen trend book was this battle between the fear of missing out, which is yep. you know <laughs> created. Um, the modern take on that is that constant connectivity, but it's up against this idea about the joy of missing out. How do you make sure that you live in the present, that you have the the fulfillment of having undivided attention towards a single activity, a single conversation. Yep. It's becoming harder and harder, but I think as it becomes more harder, the more valued it gets recognized and the more um, people struggle to make yep, sure yep. it becomes a reality or part of their daily yep, yep. experience. It fundamentally comes back down to human connection. Yep.
3: But we had two uh, data points on, on that, Cheryl, from our research. This was fielded last week, but one of them we thought was kind of interesting. uh survey of just of Americans, quantitative survey in our data, 19% of people, only 19% felt that they were really good at living in the moment. Yeah. So I think that there's this sort of technology dwarf thing that's happening, too, on, on top of everyone with the way that they think and, and uh, live.
2: Have. I just want to second that. I think one of the biggest challenges I have in the day-to-day communication with clients and some of them are the largest uh, tech companies is to push back against this massive wall of data that is attacking you as a human being and you want to basically sift through the clutter and get only the relevant one and be able to be in the zone and actually enjoy it rather than being bombarded or chased by that. And that's a, a huge challenge for the tech business. Um, and to some degree it reflects on what happens now in cars because people text while driving and they will continue to text no matter what we'll do because this is part of their experience so we need to change that experience to allow them to enjoy the moment of driving and listening to music without being chased by events Mm
1: Well, and I think it gets back to the joy of driving. I I think you have to ask yourself that part of the reason autonomous driving is of so much interest is that people are basically saying there are things I'd rather do than be behind the wheel of my automobile. In rush hour traffic. In rush hour traffic. Going back to what Gotti said,
0: though, is on a beautiful open country road with the top down, if you have a convertible... It's awesome. You don't text there.
1: No, right.
2: that's for sure. I could guarantee you that.
1: And it's and this isn't a problem just for <laughs> drivers. I mean, we in the work that we did yeah. with John, we talked about the number of pedestrians that are, you know, they're walking and texting or or yeah. talking and and we actually cite a statistic that talked about the number of pedestrians that have shown up at, in hospital emergency rooms due to text, cell phone text related accidents or injuries has increased, I think, 300 percent
3: in well, recent years? Yeah, and our other data point that from our research from last week that we just fielded is 78 um, percent of Americans would uh, give up sex before their smartphone, which is an <laughs> indictment on uh, something. I'm not going to go the No wonder this country is. is all yeah. messed up, right? <laughs> uh,
0: we've got our priorities wrong. Yeah, very interesting. It, is this taking over our lives completely then?
3: I think that's what we're saying. I mean, I think that for every trend, there's going to be an opposite trend, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in, in our work. You, know, you see the rise of, of a company like Etsy, yeah. something like well over $3 billion in sales, which is about handcrafted goods in a very organic sort of physical marketplace. I think that's exactly So the there idea. is this
2: conflicting messages here. So people are amazingly viscerally connected to their mobile phone and through that to the digital world, but they're hearkening on yesterday's craft and right. the one they, they right. want to have their own... Uh, 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 you know, little tchotchke that they did and and they want to sell it and want to share it. It's less about making money out of it as as, as to say, hey, I can do it. And and these are two powerful um, uh, elements that for me are an amazing opportunity for design. How we Mm. create meaningful, personable objects that are still delivering this digital experience and sometimes. Not always. Sometimes. Mm. So crafted,
0: handcrafted, craftsmanship is exactly. going to play an element, even though it might be with a high-tech object. A-
2: ability to customize, personalize, craft your experience. Which, by the way, the car industry is way better than the the, yeah. uh, the tech industry. Way better. About twenty-five percent of uh, the car is more or less your own selected options, uh, both on utility, like you know, engine and so on, but also. on color, you know, uh, type of seats, and so on. Um, but, again, I see that as a great opportunity. Yeah. With
0: that, I'm afraid we're going to have to okay. wrap this conversation up. I could listen to you guys all day long, but I want to thank you all for having come on Autoline this week with me today, including Cheryl Connolly from the Ford Motor Company, Gadi Amit from New Deal Design, John Gerzema from BAV Consulting. It's been awesome talking to the three of you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you.